Democracy. 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 Für ein starkes Europa der Kulturen und Regionen, welches nicht European Democracy Lab Podcast from the Institute of European Democrats. In this podcast, five elected politicians from political parties that are members of the Institute of European Democrats look back at 2020, a year characterized by the impact of COVID. They discuss the consequences of 2020 for democratic forces, as well as future scenarios for 2021. In my family, I have brothers and sisters who have not seen their parents over the past nine months. We are living in an exceptional situation. The normal work was made to a halt because of the COVID-19 crisis. And that makes it rather difficult. When we have to deal with the health of the people, one has to decide fast. I think we should come up with concrete suggestions. We have lived a critical situation which has implied critical reactions. The COVID-19 virus, which appeared in our lives at the beginning of 2020, unraveled European politics. From the Basque country to Bavaria, passing through Cyprus, the Netherlands and France, the elected politicians of the IED have been, each in their own distinctive ways and at different levels, at the forefront of this crisis. They had to change their habits as well as their ways of doing politics. Sarah El Hayri, French Secretary of Youth and a member of MoDem, has this to say about the trend. As a member of parliament, this crisis has been extremely challenging. We couldn't go and meet our fellow citizens on the ground anymore. Therefore, we had to rethink the way we interact. Myself, for instance, I increased my regular communication activities, producing more videos. The communications were centered around the healthcare crisis. This was not at the center of my habits earlier. Also, Gerrit Jan van Otelo, a member of the Dutch 50-plus party and a member of parliament, shares his views. As an acting member of parliament, all my work was heavily influenced by the COVID-19 crisis because work in parliament was stopped for a number of reasons, not be able to come together much and because COVID-19 dominated the political agenda, also in legislation, deliberations and things like that. I'm uh, 71. I was regarded as vulnerable people, people at risk, but I am the oldest in our group. So it was a, a strange situation to be on one side called a member of the generation at risk and on the other side working so hard and to have so many contacts. The daily work of politicians changed, as did their relationship with citizens, which meant they also had to adapt to their public policies and how these were constructed. According to Gabi Schmidt, vice president of the IED and a member of the Bavarian parliament, it has been of paramount importance to rely on the voices of experts and, more specifically, of doctors. In a crisis like this, the role of science could not have been more important. Some would say primordial. We took decisions only backed on the advice of experts. What we are dealing with is a medical illness, a medical problem, and we are politicians. We will do, we will implement the tools that are needed from a medical standpoint. This is, and has always been, the most important point as we tackle the crisis. It is on the basis of such expertise that governments have implemented emergency measures to protect their populations. 
These actions have implied a limitation of individual freedoms and therefore sometimes triggered tensions within our democratic societies. Marina Demetrio is a member of the Citizens Platform in Cyprus, a party which is also a member of the IED. During the first wave, most of the European Union governments adopted a series of emergency measures in an effort to control the spread of the virus, which of course those measures, we can say that they were depriving us from basic democratic rights. They were limiting individual freedoms of movement, assembly and others. But let's face it, it was a state of emergency and uh, immediate measures had to be taken. And nowadays we see a different attitude from people. On one hand, they understand the need for measures, but on the other hand, they are not as willing to accept them because now having this experience of the first wave, they have a better understanding of the psychological, the economic consequences, and they don't cooperate as well as during the first wave of the pandemic. The healthcare and economic measures implemented by governments in the face of the crisis have also revealed the existence of new divisions within our societies. The latter often involve different generations. Miguel Borzaco, Delegate General of the IED and a member of the Basque Parliament. Older persons essentially worry about their safety. They do not oppose limitations on their ability to leave their homes. They worry about their health care as they want to continue their lives. Instead, slightly younger generations are mostly concerned about the impact on their work. They're looking for jobs and care about the economic and social situation. Eventually, we have younger generations who feel like the pandemic has nothing to do with them. They care about their freedoms and leisures. Those who had COVID-19 felt it was like a flu. They do not want any more restrictions. On the basis of this analysis, European Democrats are concerned that some people might be tempted to rely on easy solutions sold by populist forces and including conspiracy theories. Sarah El Hayri. We see how specific behaviors linked to extremist and populist ideology tend to flourish. Of course, they existed also before the crisis. But I have the feeling they are ever more around in the face of the measures that we are taking to tackle this crisis. This pandemic also hits the fundamental basis of our democracy. European Democracy Lab podcast. In all of this, the European Union plays a significant role. The EU has been at the heart of the debate and often harshly criticised. But the members of the IED agree on one important fact. The EU has been active. Marina Demetrio from Cyprus believes that her country, like other member states of a smaller size, would not have been able to deal with the crisis without the help of the Union. 
I'm living in a small island in the Mediterranean, quite away from the center of Europe. And what I can see is that if there was no Europe during this serious pandemic crisis that we have been through, problems would have been much more serious in my country. We said solidarity was quite important and it helped a lot the countries, especially the countries that are small, not so powerful and not so rich. If Europe was not, if you want, a big group, then we would have deep problem regarding the possible purchase of the vaccines. We are a very small market and maybe the companies providing the vaccine would never be interested in us or wouldn't be interested in us in the first place. Mikel Borzako touches upon the fact that solidarity can also be measured from a financial point of view. The first and foremost important answer to the crisis came from financial institutions, such as the European Central Bank. Without any doubt, the meeting of heads of states in June 2020 was pivotal. Now, it is important to assure that the resources that were put to the fore are put to use in sectors or tackle issues that can assure or hinder the future competitiveness of Europe, namely digitalization and climate change. Until now, I believe that signs have been very positive, as the feeling we got has been that Europe protects us. Indeed, at the meeting in June 2020, mentioned by Miguel Borzaco, heads of states made sure that 750 billion euros of credits will be made available to relaunch Europe's post-crisis economies. These interventions will be backed by common economic resources, which in size and style make this financial intervention a novelty in the context of European policymaking. The European Union also distinguished itself on the global scene for its handling of the production and purchase of vaccines. The EU directly negotiated with private laboratories and producers to make sure that the vaccine will be at the disposal of the whole European population. Gabi Schmidt has the following to say. We need a European political and ethical basis to roll out a vaccine strategy in a way that we can protect our populations, that those who are weaker are not left behind, that richer countries do not go their own way and vaccine their own populations and forget others. We need to find an ethical basis which also has to be healthy as not to forget developing countries. And this is the task for the European Union to lay down a basis for for the health protection of our population. Herit Jan van Ottolo also says, I think that the European Union made good progress on that in securing uh, access for the whole European Union to the vaccine for uh, COVID. Because I think that's a battleground on world level, on global level, in which the European Union can play a decisive role has to get as many uh, vaccines as wanted on this uh, very fertile and hostile market. This podcast is a part of Europod, the first network of podcasts on Europe. Politics, economics, culture. Search for Europod on your browser or directly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and all listening platforms. Europod. Europe at your ears.
So what about the future? How can we move into 2021 after such a difficult year? Gabby Schmidt believes we have to turn the crisis into an opportunity. I hope that this crisis will bring the Europeans together. If we can lay down these grounds, which is to act in a humanitarian and fair way, then this existential health crisis for so many people can turn into an opportunity. I rather want to see an opportunity in the future, at the horizon. If we now behave well, Europe can exit this stronger than before. According to Marina Demetrio, a stronger Europe must be more democratic than ever. It's democracy, the first main challenge. The economic consequences of the pandemic, it's a huge challenge for EU and the countries. The solidarity of the people is also a huge challenge. Local governments need to take the decisions. I think that the European Union will support that. It has to start from the base. I mean, decisions need to be taken on local level, but they need to be supported from the top globally. Sarah El Airi underscores the growing need for solidarity, but also new challenges and expectations for the Union. This crisis has unraveled our societies and economies. We need to show solidarity towards those who live more precarious life situations. It is a Europe that protects, that we need to call for. It is more necessary than ever that our political family of Democrats agrees on a number of European public policies aimed at achieving economic growth. But it needs to be an economic growth that is respectful of our shared values. Of course, the relaunch of the integration process is one solution at hand. We need a politically stronger Europe, a Europe that is more active and economically solid. But all of this won't happen without more solidarity. Yet, at the same time, Gerrit Jan van Otelo reminds us not to lose track of the specific challenges. More specifically, he mentions Brexit and the issue of controlling public deficits. These issues have not disappeared, but have in fact become more central. I think that the challenges are how to cope with the crisis, how to cope with Brexit as well, because the Netherlands is a trade country, a large trading country, is depending on international trade, and Brexit means a large dent in those trades and makes it more difficult to trade with the UK, which was traditionally one of our largest uh, trading partners. It's a challenge also. We spend enormous amounts of money in preventing people getting dismissed getting late out of their jobs. But somehow, one way or another, we have to get back to a situation in which there's a new way of deciding what would be an acceptable budget deficit and what is not, and what will countries do. Eventually, Mikel Borzako points to another strategic challenge, making sure Europe can stand out as a political force at the global level. To make sure that Europe can play a leading role in the world, I think three conditions need to be assured. First, we need to show that democracy and European values are still at the center of our actions and effective. 
which means that we need to assure transparency and responsibility right now. Secondarily, Europe needs to move to the next step in matters of security and defense, in terms of fiscal harmonization, monetary union, banking union and energy policies. In the third place, Europe needs to change internally, within. In other words, in the context of a century in which the speed of decision-making is key, Europe cannot continue to take action based on the principle of unanimity. Europe needs to move ahead to a decision-making process based on majority voting, as to be faster in deciding on future-oriented matters. A lot of challenges lie ahead of us, but European democratic forces move ahead into 2021, being self-confident and determined. The crisis faced by European member states shows that we are in need of more efficient European solidarity, not less of Europe, as many populist movements claim. United in diversity and solidarity. These words are more than ever the guiding principles of European Democrats and the members of the IED. The European Democracy Lab podcast is a series by the Institute of European Democrats, a think tank and political foundation financed by the European Parliament. You can find more about this podcast and learn about our activities on the website www.iedonline.eu.